there's one thing you can get very, very good at, especially in L&D or maybe areas where it's not a direct sales, right? And like, okay, what, what have you done for me lately kind of thing? What is the ROI here? You've got to be incredibly good at your storytelling. So you've got to paint the picture for people. You've got to enroll them. They need to become champions for you. Here's what we're doing. Here's why this is important. Here's how you're going to be involved. This is how I'm going to enroll you. This is how you're going to influence your amazing people that you've taken this time to hire, right? And this is what's going to happen from those programs. And this is where we're going. And this is what the roadmap is. So you've got to become an incredible marketer. Hi, I'm Ted Blosser, CEO and co-founder of WorkRamp, where we're redefining the corporate learning space with the world's first all-in-one learning cloud for employee and customer learning. Welcome to the Learn Podcast, where we learn from the biggest leaders in SaaS and hear what makes them successful. Hope you enjoy the show. We are delighted to have on our guest, Kat Steinmetz. She's the principal at Initialized Capital, and she's the former head of talent success at Box and Stitch Fix. We have so much great stuff to talk about, Kat. Let's get started here. Why don't you kick us off with a little bit about your background? Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having me, Ted. Yeah, my background is definitely non-traditional, especially getting to where I am now at a VC firm, not not the expected route. My whole career, though, is in HR, talent, and culture, really almost 20 years in that. I moved to the San Francisco Bay Area as a a little baby recruiter, I like to say, in the original dot-com, kind of at the very peak And that was a really incredible experience. Helped to open an office here for a company that I was with in Minneapolis, where I went to college and started off in in the Bay Area tech scene. So was in there. And then, of course, when the dot-com died and, you know, everyone got laid off, especially recruiters, I was certainly one of those. And at the time, I was kind of excited to look at some various other things in my life beyond just doing sort of a traditional corporate background. I came from a pretty uh, artsy, hippie family and was a fine arts major in college and wanted to kind of pursue some of the things in that realm. So I always kept my foot in the door on HR. So even during the dot-com when it died, I was helping startups do their HR side, just consulting and kind of helping them start up their programs and their their policies and, and help hire their team and their first HR person. But I also pursued an artistic and musical background. So I became a singer and a musician, pretty prominent here in the Bay Area, won a couple of awards, was on several I'm on Spotify, all those things. And I became a performer in that realm and went to Burning Man. And that is one of the ways that I started becoming their head of HR. So I started consulting for them. Wait, before we go on to the rest, I did not know this about you. You got to tell me more about the (laughs) musical background. Like, what what do I look up on? What do I look up on Spotify? Absolutely. and Cat. So that was the duo I was in, very well known for that. K-E-P-I and Cat. Wow. Are you still, do you still keep up with it or what? What's my a- son who is 10 years old goes to performing art school and is big, very big into music. So he's become our, our musical project. We kind of, you know, did the solid, you know, festival club all around the world, kind of performing for like a solid decade. 
And that was really amazing. And during that time, I was the head of HR at Burning Man. I kind of grew with them. I, I like to say we grew up together. I learned on the job. They were learning too as they became this worldwide phenomenon. When I started with them, they were not that at all. And so I just kind of helped them grow into all of those stages, become a full-fledged nonprofit, all of the different entities that are under that at the Burning Man Project and grow to an 80,000 person event. You know, when I started there, they were 25 or 30,000. So yeah, quite a complex organization, way more than people expect. I usually get the question of Burning Man as HR and I'm like, oh, if you only knew. Very intense job, but I learned a lot. It was also a ton of fun and interesting and very, very transformative to be there during that time. And again, kind of kept my foot in the startup world the whole time. I just always, you know, hung out with a lot of founders. My former partner and, and music duo was a founder. So just always in that world and loved the tech scene. And so I left Burning Man and went to Stitch Fix. And I was a very early employee there, 140. They were in their Series C, I think had just gotten their Series C. I was part of their very first people leadership team. I was working very directly with Katrina Lake and Mike Smith and Eric Colson and the entire management team, along with Margot Downs, who, who hired me as the CPO there. So yeah, did the entire realm. Talent development, I went from being the head of HR to just focusing on talent development, talent management, employee engagement, which was really my passion area. And so dug deep into that at Stitch Fix, created all of their programs from scratch, absolutely everything from nothing, built the entire team for talent development, talent management, all of the programs they wanted to do, everything very innovative, very creative, created all of their cultural assets, behaviors for the for the values, you know, all of the leadership qualities, everything around that kind of thing and help them IPO. So that was a really incredible experience and loved working with Katrina Lake, still very inspired by her. And then I went to Box. They recruited me. I met Tiffany Stevenson in my time at Stitch Fix, remembered me. And when she got her headcount at Box, she immediately called me and said, you're the unicorn I want here because you know how to build an entire learning function from nothing. And you also know community because of Burning Man. And she wanted me to run all communities. So all the ERGs and just community in general there. And where'd you know Tiffany from? Where did, yeah, where Tiffany did you Stevenson her? actually was interviewed at Stitch Fix, was kind of considering this oh, sort of like people partner guy getting more into the head of HR. Now, of course, she is. She went on to go to Patreon as well, which is one of initialized companies. And then now is at Weight Watchers. Helped, literally her first day at Weight Watchers, I think, was on the NASDAQ stage. So she wow. just had that happen like four months ago. So I just saw her oh, at the awesome. Transform Conference. So, so awesome to see her and all the things she's doing. But we had an incredible time together. Really love her and Jessica Swank, who is still the head of people there at Box. And, you know, Box was maybe looked like, why would I be going there after going to Burning Man at Stitch Fix? And in fact, Aaron Levy asked me exactly that question. Burning Man, Stitch Fix, and then you thought, SAS, this is cool. And I was like, well, no, but one, I used your product and I loved it at Stitch Fix. So I believe in the product. And two, your culture is amazing. And Ted, you know that because you used to work there. And we helped bring you on work ramp at, at Box. And thank you for which that. Which was a huge, probably one of the biggest things I did there because we were at a very old OG system there that was terrible. So we were very excited to bring you on and work with somebody modern. And yeah, we had an incredible time, kind of a startup there in the midst of Box. And I like to say, because they really did not have any formal programs in talent development and they were global IPO'd company, right? A public company already, but the, everything was very DIY and kind of like some decks here and there. And people were quite hungry for real d development. So 
we, you know, along with my, you know, partners on that team, the leadership team, we created a full career frameworks, job leveling, development guides, all of the programs from scratch, like I had done at Stitch Fix, the entire team from scratch. And most of them are still there. And it was an incredible time. Yeah, really all through COVID. I learned so much. We, we published a couple of white papers when we were there of the things we were doing on onboarding and other things during COVID and how we were able to like pull that off so fast. So incredible time. And now I'm initialized. I was also recruited here out of nowhere. People envy you. You just get plucked. I, I guess. I, I'm, I'm, a big, I'm a big community builder and super connector. That's the most important thing to me is my community. So I do a lot to cultivate that and stay in very good contact with people and just really connect dots and make sure that I'm sort of like doing that all the time. It's just the way that I think. So I think that helped me. It just, I had been taking some classes on being an angel investor as a woman and for women founders. I was passionate about that. I'm also a people tech partners advisor and have been for a few years. And of course that whole program is about, you know, incubating people tech products and founders. And so helping them by giving them feedback, by being a strategic advisor. So it made a lot of sense. And initialized philosophy is we only hire former operators and founders on the investing team, which is quite unusual. It's the opposite. So they they are teaching me how to be an investor, and I have some incredible mentors there. That's awesome. Well, your career is is has been such a whirlwind and has so many accomplishments that we'll dive into here in a second. I'll actually, you know, want to actually maybe start with Stitch Fix. I think. Yeah. This is a company a lot of lot of us know. Yes. Uh, Katrina Lake, obviously very very famous, very mm-hmm. popular. Um, I think she's back. She's back now, right? She took back the raise. Exciting to see that. But, but I'm really walk, happy about that. Walk us through the, I think you spent about four years, over four years there. I did. When you mm-hmm. took it public. Yep. Maybe walk us through that experience a little more detail. Even what did you learn? And in, in Katrina Lake, for example, she's pretty pretty young. I think she's the youngest yeah. female CEO at the time. Ever take a company ever, public. Ever. Still ever. Okay. And I think the only one to have her son on her hip while she yeah. did. That's like amazing. so inspiring. But but I'm curious, like, what did you learn from her or were you teaching her more? Because I'm mean, more even more experienced than her in, in your realm, right? Like walk us through that time. Let's go into a little more detail there. Yeah, absolutely. Incredible time, incredible journey. Could have had no idea when I started, right? It was just this interesting fashion tech company. And I just love fashion, always interested and thought, wow, what an innovative company. No idea they were going to do what they were going to do. I just thought it was a really interesting leadership team where we could do some really cool things. I could build from absolute scratch, which was an incredible you know, opportunity. So yeah, to have all that happened is was quite a wild ride. I would say that it was actually a very complimentary relationship between the two of us. She taught me a lot from her perspective, having gone to, you know, Harvard and start a business out of her, you know, basically dorm room or apartment, you know, and just like such grit and resilience. And it took so much for her to get funding, you know, unfortunately, as a woman in the Bay Area, especially a woman doing her in fashion, people just did not pay attention to her. And so I learned a lot through that, you know, of how she turned that into like, great, then I'm just going to be profitable. Then I'm not going to take a lot of funding. I'm just going like, to figure out how to do this. And she did. So, and she just has an incredible way of attracting great people to her and delegating and letting actually people have agency and autonomy to do the things that she hired them to do. Lots of founders have a lot of trouble with that. 
I do a lot of coaching around that every day. And so, you know, I think one of the big things I learned from her early on too, when you're a, a crazy, you know, fast paced startup and you're just going like wildfire was progress over perfection. And I really are, I distinctly being, remember being in my first meeting with her where I took that note, progress over perfection, get things to 70% and put it out and experiment and iterate. And I was like, I love that. That is like how I do my life. So it just spoke to me so much. Like, yes, it was just like, I was on fire the minute I got out of that meeting. I'm like, okay, I know how we're going to do this. You know, we're just going to like put some things together and put it out and experiment and get feedback. Do you remember any programs that you rolled out specifically that was progress or perfection? What was the state of the world right when you started? Was it like literally nothing on the talent side? Like, okay, walk us through. I mean, there was was like, you know, uh, of course we were, the whole people leadership team was being hired by like every other week, there was another person that was being added. I was like maybe the third person on that team. So, you know, and, and, you know, I would say Margot who hired me took, took a bit of a chance on me. I was coming from Burning Man. You know, I was hoping I was going to get any job after that. And one of the reasons I kept my foot in the tech world was to make sure that I did. But, you know, she really wanted somebody who was creative and innovative. That is what she wanted. And Katrina Lake was very supportive of that. And that I had in spades, right? The strategy side, not so much. So I had to learn that. But I was, a you know, a fast student. So I think, you know, coming in there, there was absolutely nothing. We were creating everything from scratch, the entire team from scratch, which was dazzling because I came from a nonprofit where there is nothing extra, right? You are fighting for every penny that you get. And I learned to do so much with nothing. I learned how to get people to become champions for me, to do work that wasn't on my team, but they would do it because they were excited. It taught me a lot of great things, but I went from that to a startup where there was so much funding and so much money. And it was just like, do whatever you want. And in a lot of ways, I was like, frozen. I don't know what to do with that. Like, what? So I really had to like constrain myself. Like, what am I trying to do? What is the thing I'm going to do and prioritize so that I could get it done? It was just too much pie in the sky. So just like, what are the team members I needed first? What is, you know, and took a lot of mentoring and input from, you know, everyone who was there, who was learning and winging it too, as we were going. But yeah, I think that progress over perfection really helped me to move forward. That was the constraint. Was there a program you remember that you're really proud of? Was it, was it leadership development, something like that? Yeah. Yes. Incredible. We, we, we created an, an entire incredible manager program that I'm very proud of that they're still running to this day in a lot of ways. And I would say probably the one that's most special was the leadership offsite. Mm. So the leadership offsite was a day long, very interactive, experimental, immersive type of day that absolutely every employee went through. Did not matter what level you were at. Not every warehouse employee, but we ended up figuring out how to do them. Even we would go to the warehouse and do that as a half day. But every single full-time employee, did not matter what level, went to that. And in fact, you all immersed in that. And it was incredibly special for people. People, you know, young people who had never been to anything like that. It was very self-development focused. It was all an immersion in our values and our leadership qualities. And it brought it to life through very creative, transformational, interactive, sometimes very emotional activities for people. Mm. Uh, And it was taught and facilitated by the management team and the leadership. And that is what really truly and that's made like a cultural introduction. Absolutely. Like complete okay. immersion. 
this is what we do here. This is how we feel here. This is what the behaviors look like. And the modeling by the facilitators, by Mike Smith and Eric Coulson and Margot and all of the management team and the VPs who only, only at that time we had one or two were the facilitators. They wow. were the ones bringing yeah. that to life and they were completely committed to doing that. Like every other month they would switch off and we would do it probably every other week because we were, you know, recruiting people so fast. Wow. And that was incredible. People had, people were so committed from that. It was like, we called it a rehire moment. Yeah. The minute they got in there, they were rehired and they were like, I made the right decision to be. And it wasn't just new hires. It was people even in the middle Everyone. of their career at, at, yeah. okay. Yes. That's cool. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to fast forward. That's past. I'm going to go four and a half years ahead. <laughs> fish fix over. So you get recruited a box by, yeah. by uh, Tiffany. And, you yep. know, you know, for the listeners in the audience, I, I worked at Box from uh, 2011, 2015, I actually kind of met Kat through their evaluation of Box, uh, sorry, of WorkRamp. And the thing about Box is you came in at a really interesting time. When I was at Box, it was like, it was kind of like your situation at Stitch Fix. We didn't even know how to spend all our money. Like we were just throwing cash out the window, buying anything you could, like throwing lavish parties at BoxWorks, things like that. And the era you came in uh, was kind of the opposite. It was like, hey, we're a public company now. We have to, because you came in, in in March of 2019. We're a public company now. Efficiency matters a ton. We're watching our, our margins very closely. And then, but the culture was well-defined too. So it's interesting. You've kind of come into a company that by that time is about, what, 14 years old? I'm, I'm trying to do the math. Walk us through coming into an established culture that, can't really spend that much money on and you have are tasked with like building the town programs for the first time. How do people yeah. navigate that? Give us give us a rundown. Yeah. Well, for me, it kind of made the perfect sense between two things. One was I was coming from Stitch Fix, which had gone all the way to public. And I was there another what year and a half after they were public and global. So I had the experience of all of a sudden, all that money is completely taken away. In fact, I almost had offers out like rescinded, like that is how fast it's like we went in a recession right when we were about to IPO. And then that was it from then on. Everything had to be proven. You had to put the strategy together. It all had to be like a completely different way. So I had had that full experience at the end of Setchfix where I knew that's how I had to do things and I had to do them at scale and in different languages because I had to start being global. So it wasn't too hard coming to that. It was like, okay, I get it, public company. And it also was roots from Burning Man, right? A nonprofit where you have no resources and you have to count every single penny. You have to prove why you are you should actually have that money or that, that resource. So I was like, okay, I know how to do this. And I know how to prove, like, you know, persuade. I'm very good at persuasion because of those two things. I had a lot of influence in that way. And I think I learned a lot about building my strategy skills in the four years at Burning Man. And I really sunk into that. And I would say the biggest thing that I would tell people too, and that really helped me is storytelling. If there's one thing you can get very, very good at, especially in L&D or maybe areas where it's not a direct sales, right? I'm like, okay, what, what have you done for me lately kind of thing? What is the ROI here? You've got to be incredibly good at your storytelling. So you've got to paint the picture for people. You've got to enroll them. They need to become champions for you. And that's what I did with Aaron and Dylan and Jessica and the entire team there. I just met with them constantly. Here's what we're doing. Here's why this is important. Here's how you're going to be involved. 
this is how I'm going to enroll you. This is how you're going to influence your amazing people that you've taken this time to hire, right? And this is what's going to happen from those programs. And this is where we're going. And this is what the roadmap is. So you've got to become an incredible marketer, basically. How, let me let me dig into that a little bit further. I totally get it on the leadership side, the storytelling of, hey, for example, and I, and I saw some of the great programs you built, like, hey, we want to go build this, let's call it leadership development program or, or new hire onboarding program revamp. You could tell a story around that. How do you flip it to also market really well internally to, to the, and we call them learners in our world, but to your employees in that world, how do you get people interested in, especially in a company like Box that, again, is so old by that, not so old, yeah. <laughs> makes it sound like a geriatric, but they're 14 yes. years old by then. But how do you change their ways? They're like, wait, what is this new talent thing? Why? Like, I haven't done this before. Why do I need to do it? Tell us about the storytelling internally too, to, to actually get the results that you you story told for to the executive team. Yeah. Well, I'll back up real quick, which is that I tell this story that I remember about midstream at Stitch Fix about two years in, my team was like, we need a marketing and PR person. Like we don't have the skills for this. And I had never thought about that until that moment. And from then on, that is what everybody needs now. There are way too many things pulling at everybody's attention in every company and everybody's life, right? There's so much happening at all times that you could be doing. So you have to have those skills. So I started hiring for that. I started looking for that. I started developing for that. I started developing myself in that, right? And that was uncomfortable, you know? So I think like you got to push for how are you going to market your programs? How are you going to do PR? How are you going to get champions, mm. right? Internally, who are going to be teachers for you, who are going to like tell others to go to this program, who are going to pass on that email. Did or you actually look for people with marketing backgrounds in their history well, or maybe extroverted personality traits? Like yeah, you looking I for would that? say like I look for emotional intelligence skills. That's the biggest thing I hire for. I hire for self-awareness, personal responsibility, the ability to remain calm in the midst of a lot of the chaos. Those are things that you need when you're building and you're at a startup or really any kind of high paced company. And those I think see you through. I'm also like to say I'm a huge fan of Teach for America. I did not go there. I don't have any affiliation with them, but I've hired probably seven people from that program. And they are incredible. How they how they recruit, develop, and get their people to do the things that they're doing, which are really intense and hardcore stuff. I don't know what it is, but it's a secret sauce. So I used to, you know, recruit off their list. I used to look for that on LinkedIn and and I've always had really great results with that program for whatever that's worth. But yeah, I think it's like, I remember thinking that and then that was it from then on. We had to do that, right? And so when I was at Box, it was the same. It was like, okay, how am I going to make sure that people actually know about this or care about this? And it was about, it was half my job. So it was intense, no doubt. When you're building and you're building the team from scratch and all the programs from scratch and it's like you and only you, you're definitely staying up at night and this is what you're doing. But that's what you're doing at first, you know? And, 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 and when you're meeting with the leadership team, that's what you're emphasizing is that vision and that enrollment of people and you're getting people then to champion. That's, a, a, I think things that people forget is like, you have all these people in the company just sitting around waiting to also be ambassadors and champions of your programs. And this is where I would also give Box a big shout out. This is why I went to Box. They have an incredible culture, as you know, Ted. Amazing culture. I still think it's an amazing culture, one of the best. And so it was a fertile ground 
they were ready to be enrolled and engaged and excited and into it. I never got pushback from employees of like, this is more cheesy or I'm not into it. People are just into things there, right? That's why they go to Box because they're excited. They want to use emojis. They want to talk about how great things are. Like this is how what's cool about Box. And so I was like, I can do the things I want to do here. And one of the big things I wanted to do there was roll out international coaching programs across every level. And I did that. Even during COVID, I was able to roll out three large coaching programs during COVID, which is kind of insane. Like nobody had funding during that time. But it was I was able to prove why, what the story was, how the ROA was going to, you know, deliver. And I would say the other thing for my kind of, you know, L&D professionals who might be watching this is make sure you partner with excellent vendors. So when I was going to a vendor, I never thought of them as a vendor. I thought of them as a partner in my business. And if they didn't think of themselves like this, I wasn't going to do business with them. So they needed to be constantly working for me. What are you doing for me? How are you sending me narratives? What data are you giving me? Are you doing a slide deck for me so I can use it for the leadership team? I pushed all of them very hard to do all of that work for me because that's their job. Their job is to keep me as a customer. So make sure they're doing everything possible for you because they should have all those things. And if they don't, this is only going to make them a better client, right? A better vendor. Tell us more about what you recommend for, for vendor partnerships. And you, you've been on both sides of the table now. Yes, I have. <laughs> Tell us more about like tips for vendors, like the work ramps of the world, all the, all yes. the software you've bought in the past. You've, I think you've bought Torch in the past, probably Udemy, things like that. Tell us about how, how people should uh, work with their vendors that they that they work with. Yeah. And you brought up Torch. And so I think that's a, a perfect example story to use, which is, you know, we have a great relationship. It was a, a perfect match for me to be on their board because I am literally their buyer. I came exactly from doing that to this this role on the investor side. So I have such deep experience being that partner, right? Being that buyer. So I've given a lot of, you know, hour-long coaching advising sessions to the sales team. I know a lot of their the network of the companies they're selling to. So I'm always reaching out to those people that I know. I'm finding out feedback from things, whether they have torch or whether they don't. I'm helping to make those introductions and just finding out feedback, right? Just again, always looking for win-wins for anybody I know. Like, how can I help you and how can you help me? Because it's always there. It's always present. You just have to look for it and reframe things to be that. So, you know, and then I think also the product itself, you know, I, I've rolled out big coaching programs. So I, I know what I'm looking for. I know what very scaled, you know, sized companies are looking for as they're doing that. So I think I have a lot of insight to understand that. And I really press them to be that incredible partner. That was one of the first things I did. How are you partnering? It's not, it's not good enough. You need to get better. People will not renew with you, especially in this market, unless you are an incredible partner. They don't have time. They have less team members and less money. So they have even less time to be, you know, doing all of that work. So you need to do that work. And believe me, they will stick by your side because you are making their job easier and you're making them look good, right? And you're allowing them to do what they came to do, right? I mean, if we're doing L&D, we're passionate about that right? We're not going to be doing that out of the blue. So we want all those things to be a win and help that person be that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm going to close out. We're at the end of our session. I'm going to close out with what we call the learn rapid fire round. I'm going to ask you just a series of questions, mostly learning related. I'd love to get one, two line answers for each of them. Oh. This will probably take a couple minutes, but 
is one of the favorite parts of the show. So, all right, first question, who have you learned the most from in life? Yeah, I'm going to have to say two and I'll say it quick. I would say one is my community. I have an incredible community and I'm constantly feeding them and they feed me and I've learned everything I want to know from my community. And I would also say my son. He has taught me so, so much about myself, about life, about how to calm down, how to how to give and receive good feedback, how to you know be in the moment with him, stay playful, all of those things. I'm so thankful for him. That's great. Usually people say the reverse, one of their parents, but it's so cool hearing from your from your son. That's awesome. All right. Next one. What is one podcast book blog you've learned the most from, or even that you're listening to now? Yeah. I would actually, I just got done with an incredible book called 4,000 Weeks. I think it's Oliver Berkman, if I'm correct about that. Wow. Really incredible book. He does it on Audible. I'm a big Audible person. I like to listen while I'm doing other things. Incredible. I laughed. I cried. I saw myself. I felt my, I was just very, very impressed with that book. And it's like a five hour book. So it's not a massive investment, but I can't recommend it highly. I got some weeks. of my, my 10, 10 audible credits on that one. Just sitting there. I got to go get that one. Yes. All right. What is one topic you would learn, like to learn more about in the future if you had the time? I mean, I really am so immersed in becoming an investor. I have so much to learn on that side. I have so much on the operator side, on the advisor side. That comes very naturally within seconds. I can tell you things that you need to know on the on that side. But I am learning like... Like Brene Brown calls it an FFT, an effing first time. Like I'm having those every day as an investor. And so I'm constantly, I just took a huge month long modeling for financial, you know, a sort of venture. And I'm just like down. learning all of that. And it's incredible. So I have a lot to learn. And I'm excited about that. I'm still learning my cap table modeling after yeah. after four venture rounds. Still don't understand. <laughs> oh my that. gosh. That's, that's very validating. <laughs> Thank you, Dad. <laughs> Most founders would not admit that, but they probably don't know how to model. Okay. Last one I'm going to ask, what is one big piece of career advice you could give to someone earlier in their career that you've learned in yours? Yeah. I mean, probably from all that you've just heard, it's okay to have a non-traditional background. It's okay to pursue all the things that you want to do in your life and to make your life art. This is your one beautiful life. So you got to do that. And it's always about the story you tell. So internalize your story, get connected with why it's cohesive, and anyone will get on board with you when you talk about that. Make your own life masterpiece. Love it. Right. All right. Well, Kat, thanks so much for joining us. This was an awesome discussion. I think the crowd is going to learn a ton from you and look, looking forward to connecting again soon. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Ted. Really awesome. Thanks, Kat. Thank you, everyone, for joining. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And remember... Always be learning.